Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Mays, your host for tonight's show. And on this broadcast, we'll be featuring Anthony Carusco, and he'll be answering your questions on rivers of Northern California. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Anthony a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form in the right column of our website to sign up. Just fill in your name and email address, and we'll let you know when the next live show will begin. Uh, this broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Feedspot, Player FM, or any of the other platforms you might be using. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the distribution platforms at your convenience and, and listen to the recording at any time. And if you are out about on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now. We've got a couple links on the home page where you can just uh, go right over and, and make a post and tell them where you are and what you're doing. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc. Doing Businesses Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Anthony Crusco about rivers of Northern California. Douglas Outdoors is a manufacturer of of premium quality fly rods, raising the expectations that anglers should expect in componentry, design, engineering, craftsmanship, and in turn performance. Led by head rod designer Fred Cantui, Douglas has achieved award-winning rods featuring eye-opening strength to weight ratios and dialed-in technique-specific actions and tapers that cater to a host of different species. Douglas Outdoors has a truly deep lineup of rods, ranging from 12 weights for monster tarpon to 2 weights for tiny brook trout and everything else in between. Check them out at douglasoutdoors.com. Again, that's douglasoutdoors.com. Before we introduce Anthony, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away for tonight. And uh, for the drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Look for the link under Anthony's section that says click here to register for a drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a book courtesy of Stackpole Books, and here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something that Anthony and I talk about during the show, and uh, this could be end up being a two-part question, a one-part question, I don't know, but take good notes. Um, and when you submit your answer, it's going to be in that same box uh, on the home page that you can ask questions at during the show. Put in your name, location, your answer, and if you're the first person uh, to get the, the correct answer in, you'll you win a book from Stackpole. I have a list of books that I'll be sending out, and you can pick one of them, and we'll get it sent out to you. Our guest tonight is Anthony Carusco. Anthony found a passion for fly fishing at a young age, following that passion to the foothills of gold country and beyond to the vast tundras of Alaska, and finally back home to Northern California, where he has turned his passion into a career. Growing up in competitive sports and being a former college athlete, 
His drive to persevere and always find his clients' fish is apparent on the water. A natural leader, Anthony has put together a group of like-minded guides with superior work ethics that want nothing more than to see their clients have a great time and be successful in the water. His confidence and positive demeanor is infectious, and a trip with him is certain to make for some of his clients' most memorable vacations. When he's not guiding, you'll find him chasing the white ball on the manicured fairways or chasing um, an adramus fish on the coastline. Anthony, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Awesome. Thank you, Roger. Really, uh, I'm happy to be here and hanging out with you this evening. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, you said earlier you just got off a, another hard days of fishing on the water, huh? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of days, a lot of days fishing with people right now. Is the uh, is the uh, I take it the weather has been good. Has the water been good? It's been great. The weather's been um, kind of unseasonably warm up here. We're based in Redding, and um, it's been a little little warmer this this fall than we're used to. A lot of days in the 80s and and 90s, but um, we're happy. It's better than 50 degrees and sideways rain, so we're in yeah. stride and having great fishing. How's uh, fires been in your area? Are you dodging those? Or? Luckily, yeah, luckily nothing in the immediate um, area to us here in Redding. A lot of that stuff has subsided in the last month or so. Um, we've got a lot of wind tonight, so there's a fire warning, you know, how that goes. But, um, yeah, I mean, we have blue skies and Really, actually, really nice, uh, really nice weather right now. So we're lucky to be out of the smoke and into our fall season. Well, good, good, good to hear that. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, your neck of the woods up there. Um, mm -hmm. We've decided to talk about um, a few different fisheries up there that you you guide on. Uh, the uh, Upper Sacramento River, uh, the Klamath River, Pitt River, and the McLeod. So. Um, uh, we'll hit a couple general questions about the area here first, and then let's dig into each fishery, tell us about it and uh, how to fish it, and yeah. uh, that'll be our plan for, for tonight. So, um, Okay, so up there in the Reading area, Ron uh, in uh, Massachusetts uh, wrote in and asked, what's the best time of year to fish those northern California rivers? Right. Um, we're lucky in Northern California where we are here based in Redding in that we have, really we have a 12-month season. Um, we get to fish for trout and steelhead essentially 12 months out of the year. I would say our, kind of our prime time is going to be in the spring and in the fall. Um, middle of March through the middle of May, the weather's usually pretty darn nice. And we have a, a really good variety of rivers fishing well at that time. From the rivers you mentioned, the upper sack, the lower sack, the, uh, the McLeod, the Pitt, the Fall River, there's a lot to fish in the springtime. And again, in the fall, we have good summer fishing, but I would say, uh, you know, the warmer temperatures here in the valley are, uh, you know, it can get warm. We can get triple-digit days and um, not always the most comfortable to be out in unless you're wet wading in a river. But I would say really spring, March, April, May, and then again coming in October and November are kind of our five months that stand out here in okay, Northern California okay. for the rivers that we fish. Uh, do do you have any issues with runoff in the spring? Um, we do on some of the rivers. We have runoff. We really don't get it like a lot of places in the Rockies do where it's substantial and the rivers go out for a month or two. Um, right. A lot of our rivers are tailwaters, which means they flow below dams, so the flows are controlled. And it's pretty rare for us to have blown-out days in the spring. 
Although it does happen some years, real high water, we'll get a week or two where the flows are a little too high to fish. But that usually ends pretty quick after, like I said, like a week or two. Most years, we don't have to deal with runoff and rivers being unfishable in the spring. So we're, we're lucky in that regard for sure. Okay, good, good. Um, is Redding the place to stay if you're going to fish any one of these rivers? To, and, and, well, you know, if yeah. If going out with you, or is, are there better places yeah. to stay? Yeah, Redding's pretty central. Within really a 80-mile radius, we have probably seven of the west, you know, top rivers. Um, so Redding is very central. You know, if you're going to fish the upper sack, the little town of Dunsmere is a great little town to stay in. Um, and we'll kind of hit a few of these rivers, I think, in this podcast, and we'll talk specifically about them in their areas. But in general, Redding is a very good base camp for an angler looking to come to Northern California and really get a good sampler platter of a, uh, you know, a few different rivers, big from big rivers to small rivers. Um, Redding is very central, um, and a lot of our guests stay in Redding when they fish with us up here. So if, if you were staying in Redding you could, uh, and you were up there for a few days, you could fish all the rivers we're going to talk about out of Redding? Exactly. Yeah, you're okay. within an hour drive of, of all the different rivers that we, uh, that we fish up here. Okay, okay. Um, and I forgot to note who asked this question, but the um, question is, if I could only fish one river in Northern California, which would it be and what time of year? So we've already kind of identified the, the time of years that are best. Yeah. But is there yeah. one you favor um, more than the others? Or? I would say the river that we fish most frequently throughout the course of the year is going to be the Lower Sacramento River. Um, it's a tailwater that flows below Lake Shasta, below Shasta Dam. And the fishing here is, is world-class. Really, it, it's up there with any tailwater in the west, the Missouri River, the Bighorn River, um, a lot of the tailwaters in Montana, this river. The consistency and the quality of the fish is very difficult to beat. It's not the most accommodating river to wade fish. So if you're looking for a wade fishing option, it's probably not at the top of the list. You know, we float it in drift boats and access the islands and all the runs and riffles with our drift boats. Um, so it's it's more of a drifting river. Um, the smaller rivers, I would say, so to answer his question, I would say the lower sack is, is probably one of the most productive trout fisheries we have in the lower 48, having been lucky enough to sample many of them. Um, the sack is, is certainly the crown jewel of trout fishing we have in Northern California. As far as wade fisheries, I would say the McLeod would, should probably be at the top of most people's lists. Um, to come up and experience. It's a smaller river. It's a wade fishing river. The scenery there is is gorgeous, second to none, really, when it comes to fishing in Northern California, and accommodating, like I said, to, to folks coming in for the for a day or two and wanting to wade fish. The McLeod is is way up on the list. So yeah, and that was uh, Scott Nelson's question next: is which one is uh, could he wade? Um, now, when you say wade, is it uh, relatively easy to wade is it a tough wade i mean i've i've yeah i think our <laughs> our wade yeah our wade fishing streams here in the north state aren't aren't the easiest to wade um felt boots with studs are highly recommended um certainly a wading staff um they're not you know flat pea gravel streams that you just walk into with ease and cross with ease there's plunge pools and the river banks are kind of steep with some bigger rocks and some bushwhacking to get around. But if you can get around and cover a little ground, very productive rivers, very, very productive rivers, very healthy populations of wild, um, you know, 
wild trout and native trout. So okay. I wouldn't say they're okay. the easiest rivers to wade. I a lot of rivers, you know, a lot of smaller streams, uh, Central Valley and towards the southern end of the state are easier to wade fish, but it's uh, they're certainly wadeable. Not e- I wouldn't say they're easy. I'd classify them as um, you know an eight eight to nine out of ten. Some of them in, in wading difficulty. They're not yeah. uh, you don't just pop it and wade around with ease. Yeah, you never know. Uh, when fishing with a friend of mine up in uh, Montana, and he took us to this. Uh, this creek and uh um i mean it was challenging it was like boulder hopping i mean you know you're crawling over boulders to get to the next pool you know it was it was yep. tough you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's tough yeah. usually those tougher to wade rivers they can be rewarding not everyone wants to put the effort into to get into those little yeah. spots and if you do you can be rewarded you know yeah, that's that's true and i was that day so <laughs> yep so yeah you know. good um George Hall in Yuba City wants to know, um, evidently he's retired, uh, doesn't like to fish weekends with the rest of us that work, (laughs) and and wants to know where he can stay in camping and lodging, um, uh, evidently, during the week. Uh, Any any particular campgrounds or areas for camping? Yeah, I I would say, um, you know, just kind of to this time of year, the upper Sacramento River, um, north of Redding, 20 to 30 miles is a great spot. Um, a lot of good, there's 30 miles of good freestone stream up there, very fishable, really nice water this time of year. Um, and there are a few really nice campgrounds. Sims Campground is one of them, SIMS, and it's just south, about 10, 15 minutes of the town of Dunsmere, um, which is a great little town, little fly shop there to go visit if you're in the area. So I would say the upper sack would be a great option in camping around the Sims area. Um, Sims okay. Campground specifically would be great. But best to bring your boat, right? Um, well, the, the upper sack. sack, not necessarily. The upper sack is um, a smaller walk and wade stream. The lower sack, so downstream of Lake Shasta, which we call the lower sack, which is a big tailwater, um, that's a drift boat fishery. Um, but okay. the upper sack is one of the tributaries that comes into Lake Shasta and um, is a great walk and wade freestone stream. Okay. Okay. So, so I think yeah, and I think that a lot of people get confused in between the upper sack and lower sack. We we call it the lower sack because it flows below Lake Shasta. Um, it's the upper end of the lower sack as it flows 200 miles into the bay, um, but it is we refer to it as the lower Sacramento River up here. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so I might have uh, advertised this wrong, but um, okay. uh, the area that you're fishing most often is below. Lake Shasta, and you're calling that the uh, yeah. the lower sack, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And above the lake is the upper sack. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, let's just let's talk about the upper sack just now for just a few minutes, and then we'll talk about the lower sack. Yeah. But you've already started yeah. to describe the fishery and so forth. What what can somebody expect up there? It's a Freestone River up there, or, or yeah, it's a Freestone stream. It, it does technically flow below Lake Siskiyou, which is in Mount Shasta. Um, there's a reservoir up there, but it's a freestone stream, and that anything that comes into the reservoir up there comes out um, comes out below, below. The flows aren't managed on a schedule or anything like that. So mm-hmm. um, it's a freestone stream. There's a lot of creeks and tributaries that come in, and it flows, you know, naturally below that that little dam. Um, so the upper sack is essentially 35 miles of um, good, clean, cold water that come comes from 
Mount Shasta and then some of the small ranges to the west. It's a very popular wade fishery for those folks in Northern California. And can you fish it all year long there as well? You can, yes. It's open year-round to angling, um, which is different than some of the other rivers, but the upper sack upstream of uh, Lake Shasta is open 12 months out of the year. And really some of our best fishing for larger fish happens in the wintertime and, and early spring months when uh, some of those big rainbows can come out of the lake and go up that upper sack. Ah, out of Lake Shasta then, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so you've got rainbows there. Anything else to target? Um, that... Primarily rainbows. Um, there's a okay. few, very few brown trout that come up in there. Most of the browns go up the McLeod, and that also comes into Lake Shasta, but primarily uh, native rainbow trout. There okay. are smallmouth bass and um, some bass species, um, spotted bass in the lower reaches right as it goes into Lake Shasta. But primarily when we go fishing there, we're targeting the, the rainbows that are up there. Okay. And this may apply to all the rivers, but I you know, wanted to ask you about you know, what rod weights you take up there suggest uh, for folks coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a, a standard 9-foot 5 weight is a great is a great rod on the upper sack all around. You could throw the dry dropper with it, which we do a lot in the springtime and summertime. Um, you know, you could throw an indicator, a nymph rig with a little weight. Um, you could throw a streamer on occasion or a single little dry fly. Um, a nine foot five weight, most trout anglers have that in their quiver and that's a great rod to bring up there. We also do a lot of tight line European style nymphing up there. Um, so okay. tight line nymphing, the pocket water and you know, a ten and a half foot or eleven foot three weight is a great tool for for fishing those methods up there. Okay. Okay. Good. And it sounds like good public access to the river. Yes, a lot of really good public access. So the upper sack parallels Interstate Five as it leaves north of Redding above Lake Shasta. So there's dozens of spots to turn off and drive down to the railroad tracks there, and or do little turnouts and hike down to the river. Um, it's very probably one of the, one of the more accessible rivers that we have up here in terms of drive-in, you know, park and, and walk-in access. And what about um, hatches? What kind of insect yeah. life do you have up there? So we have great hatches. Um, our main hatch, we'll start with the spring. We get um, salmon flies and golden stone flies that hatch in May and June. Um, so that's kind of the first big hatch of the year. We'll get caddis and PMDs and various midges that hatch throughout the, uh, the course of the year. But the, those big stone flies, the goldens and the salmon flies, come off for about a month, month and a half. In the springtime, May, early June, can be a great window to hit those big hatches late in the evening. Um, summertime, you can get some good dry fly fishing in the evening with caddis and little pale morning duns. Um, and then this time of year, we start to see October caddis. So that's a big orange caddis. Um, big Halloween-looking bug that comes off late hmm. afternoon, evenings, and um, October, November, and really even December will get those October caddis to hatch and um, can create some really fun dry fly fishing with a with a big dry fly. Yeah, sounds like uh, several opportunities. Now, when those salmon uh, flies and golden stones are coming off in May and June, is it, uh, I mean, if you latter part of May, first part of June, are you pretty much guaranteed to hit yeah, that hatch? It, yeah, hatches are, it's hard to guarantee them, you know. Um, right, right. Most <laughs> yeah. you, certainly you're going to see a few, but, you know, the weeks that they peak are going to vary a little bit year to year, really depending on the temperatures and water levels and stuff. But 
really any time from the middle of May to the middle end of June, you're going to see a good number um, of those big salmon flies or those big golden stone flies flying around. And every day will vary a little bit. But um, right there, that's kind of the window. Middle of May through the latter part of June is a great window to hit those big stone flies hatching. With all the talk recently and the fires and so forth and, you know, the talk of global warming and so forth, have you seen uh, any hatches change significantly in timing during the year? Or act that's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we really haven't seen it much, and I don't think it's um, really climate-related. We haven't seen it much on the Freestone Rivers. Those are pretty pretty consistent year to year. Um, the lower sack, though, in Redding and South, the hatches have changed quite a bit over the last 10 years. We, When I first moved up here 10-plus years ago, we really didn't have pale morning duns. We didn't have that mayfly. We had a ton of caddis, but a lot fewer mayflies. And now it's more become more of a mayfly river. The PND hatches are incredibly strong. They drive our fishing from March through June or July. And that's kind of been cool to see, you know, just kind of adapting every year as the bugs change on the lower sack. And a lot of that has to do with um, the water temperatures. Or back early 90s, there wasn't a temperature control curtain in the dam. The water would warm up in the summer, so it was more accommodating to caddis. In the mid-90s, they put in a temperature control device in Lake Shasta, which made the, the temperatures coming out of the dam consistently 50 to 52 degrees all year whether it's 120 degrees out in August for a week straight, um, the rivers are still going to be 50 to 52 degrees, really cold coming out of the dam. So I think that in time has kind of shifted the hatches a little bit as the river changes. Um, even though it was 25 years ago, the river seems to have shifted in the last 10 or 12 years, and the dynamics of the bugs have changed a little bit. Um, still a lot of bugs, just different bugs. Yeah, and probably probably being more consistent now that that temperature control has been put in. It might have taken a while yep. to adjust, but I would imagine it's yes. yeah, pretty consistent now. Yeah. So um, good, good. Well, let's take a, a quick break, and then when uh, we'll come back, we'll talk about the, uh, the lower sack and kind of dig into that and, and learn a bit about that. So uh, hang tight with me here, Anthony, and we'll be right back. Sounds great. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than just a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks, on pongas, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at BajaFlyFish.com. Again, that's BajaFlyFish.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Anthony Carusco about rivers of Northern California. If you'd like to ask Anthony a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box and send us your question, and we'll try to answer it tonight. Uh, Anthony, I always ask my guests, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So uh, tell us a bit about your business and what's, what's going on out there in Northern California. Yeah, so... Um 
I'm a full-time fly fishing guide, and um, I work with a crew of 10 other fly fishing guides that are on our team. Um, I guess we're, I mentioned this earlier, we're really lucky to have really a 12-month season, which is pretty unique in the world of fly fishing. We have 12 months of really productive fishing for both trout and steelhead up here in Northern California. So as, as guides, that's a great thing because we get to make really a full-time living of going and fishing and teaching and um, taking people on our rivers. Right now, we're in the middle of the egg drop that we call um, on the lower Sacramento River, and most of our guide days are out here right now on the lower Sac in Redding and Anderson. Um, there's a lot of salmon that are up here spawning and laying eggs, and as those know that, that have fished around spawning salmon, it can create quite the feeding frenzy for the, the trout and steelhead that are in the rivers. So it's been a fantastic three or four weeks, and we're looking forward to it continuing here through through November as these salmon keep coming up to spawn. So that's kind of what we're primarily doing right now and focused on. Okay. What's the website or your uh, shop there, your guide service? Um, it's acflyfishing.com. Um, you'll find a lot of information on where we are and what we do, and we keep a blog pretty, pretty active there, um, YouTube channel as well at AC Fly Fishing, and then um, an Instagram page as well, at AC Fly Fishing, to keep our current, you know, daily updates up on those places. Good, good, great, great. And that's uh, where people can find you to book you and so forth if they're coming out your way. Yeah, yeah, or questions if you're coming up to visit for a little bit and not necessarily looking for a guide, we're happy to help point people in the right direction to maximize their, their fishing vacation. Terrific, terrific. All right, well, thanks for sharing. And... Um, Let's uh, talk about that lower Sacramento, and um, you just mentioned, you know, the salmon run that's running up in there right now. What kind of salmon are running up there? Yeah, they're king salmon. So uh, Kings, okay. Short, yeah, king salmon, Chinook salmon is what they are, um, and our fall run is kind of the biggest run we get. Um, we have really the only river in the world that has four distinct runs of king salmon. Um, we have a spring, summer, winter, and fall run. Um, this fall run is our biggest biggest return of fish these days. And there's thousands of them up in the river right now that are spawning and laying eggs and running that reproduction cycle. And and it feeds it feeds a lot of nutrients back into the river and, and the trout and the bugs and um, kind of the full circle, bringing all that nutrients back from the Pacific Ocean. So it's the egg drop we call it this time of year, and um, can create some really spectacular trout fishing in October and November. What about the salmon fishing? Oh yeah, salmon. So really, you you're technically not able to target salmon upstream oh. of um, cottonwood. So the salmon, by the time they make it all the way up here, they're not in the most desirable shape to want to catch and and okay. eat. Okay. Um, yep. But anglers can target them through the month of October on the lower reaches below, typically south of where we fish. So we we're primarily targeting the trout and the steelhead that are in the river and eating behind the spawning fish. Um, we do hook a few kings every day, um, but we, yeah. uh, we have to break them off technically to um, let them, you know, let them go and, and reproduce and spawn in peace. Um, but we do hook <laughs> a few of them every day this time of year. Yeah, drifting drifting through the uh, kings to get to the to the, the trout mm -hmm. behind them. I know I've done that before in Alaska, and, and you're right, hooking up on those kings, you know, I have a 40-pound king. <laughs> on on a six weight, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be exactly. dealing with that anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's That's like a 45-minute uh, ordeal. Yeah. 
Yeah, it screws up your whole fishing day, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, been there. Yeah. Okay, it's, good. It's a and necessary um, evil. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the the lower sack, what? Give us a, a picture of what that river looks like. You know, and the topography yeah. around it. So, um, like I mentioned earlier, it's a tailwater, so it flows below Lake Shasta. Um, it originates, you know, starts right here in Redding and flows south about 200 miles into the bay. The section that we focus our efforts on is going to be the Redding and Anderson section. There's about 25 to 30 miles of really good, clean, cold water, um, really good trout habitat because of the cold temperatures, and really good bug life. It's in the valley, so you're not, you know, it's not big mountainous stuff. You get south of Redding a little bit, and it's pretty scenic. You get into the um, the Red Bluffs down there and some of the canyon walls, but a lot of our best fishing, really, for our, the largest fish in the river are going to be in the upper reaches, in the Anderson um, up to Redding area. So you're floating through through town half the day and um, floating by, you know, houses and neighborhoods and um, some of the biggest trout in the river live in that upper reach here in Redding and uh, all the way down through Anderson. So it's not like you're out in the middle of the wilderness. Um, you're you're kind of right in town. Most of our days start in town and um, finish down below Anderson. But um, really, really a productive trout river, one of the top few rivers that we have, like I mentioned earlier, in the lower 48 as far as, you know, in terms of the quality of the fish and the quantity of the fish. They're all wild fish. They're native. They've been here for millennia. There's no hatcheries for the trout, so um, they're really, really hardy, tough, fast-growing fish. So the closer you get to the dam, the better the fishing, basically, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I, w I would say, on average, the larger fish live in the upper, say, 10, 15 miles, and then as you get further down, there's a lot of trout still, but a lot of them are going to be smaller in that 12 to 16-inch range. We see bigger ones down there as well. They're just not as, not as frequent. The fish in town in Redding are... You know, a lot of them are 17 to 18 inches on average. Right, right. Uh, and speaking of that, um, we got a question in here on the Internet. Uh, Phil uh, McCartney in Kentucky says, what river produced the trout in the photo on the on the page for this presentation? So that shot oh, that I have of you, uh, he wants to know where it is and if there's more. <laughs> so. Just refresh my memory. Is that, is that a brown trout there? Yeah. Uh, I, think I think it's a brown trout. Yeah, it's. A, I think it's, it's a brown trout. That was yeah. That was from the uh, the McLeod River. Um, ah. And there are some browns that come up. Quite a few browns that come up in the McLeod um, in the late summer months and the fall months, and they'll spawn November, December, January up there. So we yeah. get we have the opportunity to run into some large brown trout on the McLeod. Yeah, he's kind of silvery uh, looking, you know. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you could tell it fish has been in the lake and. That's a Loch Leven strain of a brown trout, not the hmm. the German brown that are real more a little more brown and red. Right. Um, those fish, some of those fish are a little bit more uh, chromer, chromer looking. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fish, very very pretty fish. Yeah. yeah. So there you go, Phil. And there's probably more of them, uh, but you got to catch them, Phil. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the deal. So uh, okay, good. Um, primarily. Uh, in the lower sack, then primarily rainbows again, or do you have browns in there as well? Or? Um, every once in a blue moon, a brown trout will be caught in the lower sack. There's really not a sustainable population of them. Um, okay. There's a few fish every once in a while that will get kicked through the dam or that will come up out of a little creek. 
but 99.9% of the fish are going to be native rainbows. Okay. Um, so primarily rainbow trout and then steelhead as well in the fall and winter that come up from a, from the ocean. They'll make it up 200 miles and spawn on some of the tributaries up here. But um, rainbows and then, and then steelhead on occasion in the fall and winter. Okay. Uh, are the steelhead something you go after? I mean, is that something you target? Yeah. I mean, we go out. Yeah, we typically there's sections of the river, kind of Anderson South, that we'll target um, trout in, and there's some areas, especially by creek mouths and stuff like that, that the steelhead will conjugate in a little bit more before the winter rains come and they run up. Um, so we'll we'll target steelhead while we're fishing for trout. Anthony, you got some wind blowing there. Ooh, is it getting windy? <laughs> yeah, we can hear it blowing. So. Okay. Uh, see if that helps. Okay. Um, okay. Good. Uh, now you said you primarily fish uh, the, the, all these sections uh, from a drift boat, correct? Yes, we do. And there are plenty of opportunities that we use um, when the flows are right to get out of the boat and wade fish a little bit. But the most productive method on the lower sack is, you know, nymph fishing from a drift boat. Um, that's that's the highest percentage of of catching, you know, a number of fish. Okay. Any particular things you do different there than you've seen done in other parts of the country as far as your, um, your nymph setup, your rigging? The... Yeah, we fish on the sack because the river is moves fast and it's deep. A lot of the water we fish is 2 feet to 10 feet deep. Um, some of the deeper spots we run a long drop, so a long, you know, 7, 8 feet from the weight to the indicator, which is a pretty long system. So maybe a little longer in some than some areas, um, mm -hmm. and a little extra weight at times to penetrate the heavy current and get down to where those fish are feeding. Um, so we build, you know, specific leaders out of fluorocarbon. Um, they're thin diameter that sink better, um, as opposed to just a tapered leader with some split shot and throwing it in there. We fish an adjustable indicator system, and um, you know we're able to adjust our depth to fish very shallow or to fish very deep, as deep as eight, nine feet. So um, it's dynamic in that we're changing our depth and our weight a lot in every different spot and, um, you know, punching our flies, trying to get our flies through that heavy current to get down to where those fish are, those big rainbows are eating. What, uh, what kind of uh, indicator do you use? Um, so pretty much myself and all of our guides fish J-decators. One of our guides developed these four or five years ago now, and um, we've been fishing them for that long. Um, it's a balsa wood indicator that we put on the leader, and um, we peg it with a toothpick, and we're able to slide it up and down the leader easily without crinking the line. And um, they're really, they're great tools. They're really light. Balsa wood's really light, and it floats really well, so it can carry a little bit of weight. Um, we really like those, and we actually we sell those on our website as well. Uh, but the Jadicator is a really good tool for um, fishing below the surface with an indication device. And it sounds like you're um, – now, when you're selling those on site, so you guys make those? Yeah, Jason Cochran, one of our guides, um, he's he's made a lot of different things over the years, but this thing has really taken off. And most anglers on the river are fishing, or in Northern California these days, are fishing jadicators. But he makes them hand, you know, everyone's handmade. He spins them mm. on a lathe, um, oh. paints them, finishes them, and, uh, you know, packages them and kicks them out. Oh. So, yeah, um, yeah. It's a pretty pretty cool little tool. Okay, so it's not just 
a square of balsa wood <laughs> with a toothpick. Yeah, yeah, they're, I love it. it's, they're it's more commercially less, they're, produced. Yeah, yeah, they're little. Uh, they're Jay makes each one of them by hand, spins them up. They're all yeah. specifically shaped, and they're kind of like little mini footballs, more or less, is the shape of them. Um, the yeah. coolest thing about them is is they they lean in the direction that your flies are. So. I think one of the big things about fishing below the surface with an indicator is most folks don't think past the indicator that often. Um, out here, it's really important that we know where our flies are in relationship to the indicator, and um, so we're able to, to detect the quick grabs we get and get the proper drift. So they're really good teaching tools and having our guests understand where their flies are floating below the surface in relationship. If your flies mm -hmm. are kicked out downstream two feet and leading the drift, you get a quick grab. A lot of times, the indicator doesn't translate that grab so we would mend downstream in that situation to to create the right relationship to where we get a grab you're going to see it right away on the indicator so yeah I, they're I really good little tools yeah i can't remember i i saw some other indicator with that where you know it had like the uh you know just a, a stick or something sticking out of the top that indicated the mm -hmm. the, the direction of the flies too and that that sounds like yeah. you know really helpful helpful uh, tool yes um, yeah. Um, what about, and you say you're adjusting the weight a lot. Is, do you have any any specific ways that you weight? Particular um, at times we are. Typically we're running, you know, I, I mean, it, it really depends. But when the flows are low this time of year and in the winter, we're running a little less weight. But it just pinch on split shot um, or little tungsten weights that we'll put on and add or subtract, really depending on the speed of the water and the depth that we're fishing. Okay. Okay. Um yeah, I fished with a guy not too long ago who were, you know, uh, the, the the type of weights that have the little butterflies, you know, where you can easily take them on and off. Um, mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, the old style we used to use when we were worm fishing. Uh, but he used those a lot because he was constantly, it was tough, fast water. And, you know, we're constantly adding and taking away weight to try to get down there. And that was the easiest way to do it. Yep. So that's why I was asking yep, about absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, what? Uh, let's see. Um, I think he's yeah he's talking about the steelhead here. Uh, Robert o O'Donnell in uh, Columbia, Maryland, asked about uh, will the steelhead uh, on the sack take dry flies? Um, steelhead on the lower sack. Um, yes, actually, we we got a really nice one. One of our guides did um, a couple weeks ago to come up and eat a big. Um, chubby Chernobyl, so a big foam dry fly. And they'll really, when they get into the river and they've been in the river for a month or so, they'll start to get what we call pretty trouty. So they'll start to eat bugs and um, they'll even eat dry flies during a good hatch. They'll post up with a pot of rainbows and they'll sit in there and sip dry flies. And um, it is a really fun thrill to, to get a steelhead on a dry fly. It's not something we say we go out and do consistently, but it does happen on occasion. How's the steelhead fishing there in general? Is this a fishery where you're happy to get one fish a week, um, or you know, is it better than that? Yeah, so yeah, it's it's typically better than that. October through January, um, you can go out on the lower sections of the sack of Anderson, and and a good day you can hook, you know, with a drift boat with two anglers, you can hook five to eight steelheads. Some days or even more. Um, oh, really? Some days, okay. you know, this time of year we go out and we might only hook one or maybe hook two, but um, there's, they're pretty, they're, they're there in catchable numbers. And again, we're trout fishing down there and um, we, we're fishing the likely spots that the trout are 
and the steelhead are just in there with them. So when we hook a good one, we know it's a steelhead because they're significantly larger than most of the resident rainbows in the lower river. Um, so there are good good catchable numbers of steelhead below Anderson for sure. But you're fishing them like you would just generally with a trout, drift, you know, uh, yep. nymphing and fishing so forth. Fishing an egg invitation, yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't, um, uh, any of your guests uh, use spay? Sounds like the river's big enough. A little so. bit. Yeah, a little bit. It is a big river, um, but typically the best, the most productive way to catch them is dead drifting your flies or, or nymphs that are indicated. We don't spay fish a whole lot in the lower sack. Um, mm -hmm. okay. it, it is a way to fish, and you can catch some fish doing it. Um, but it's, most of our guests like to go out and have the best opportunity, you know, best odds of catching fish, and that's typically nymph fishing, you know, under an indicator on a tight line. Now, does uh, we talked a little bit about you said pale morning duns have come on uh, in that section of the river. Uh, do you get the the salmon and golden stone patches as well on the lower sack? Yeah, great question. We do get salmon flies. Um, and golden stones, to say that it's like a, an event like you would see on the Madison River, say, it, you, you don't see them in those numbers necessarily. You'll see them flying around, but they're not. It's like we're out there throwing big dry flies at the banks in the spring. Um, they eat the nymphs really well, but they really don't come up and eat the dry flies. They're just, it's such a big river, and there's mm. not enough bugs really to get them to come up to the edges and, and look up. So we're not out there really fishing the dry fly hatch, although we do fish the nymphs pretty regularly in the winter and uh, in the springtime. We don't fish uh, the dry flies all that often for them. Okay. Uh, what about any other differences in the hatches from the upper versus the lower sack? Um, yeah. Um, they do vary a little bit, uh, mostly up in town in Redding, the Redding area. You're going to see more PMDs, more of those little mayflies. As you get lower down, the water temperatures warm up a little bit as you get south of Redding, and you're going to see more caddis. You'll see a few golden stoneflies down there, but predominantly, you know, caddis fishing south of Anderson and Redding. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, good. Okay, well, let's, anything else about the, the, the lower sack that you think we should know? Um, I don't think so. I mean, it just it stands out and it, that we get to fish it pretty much every day of the year in a controlled flow environment um, mm -hmm. and really some of the some of the best trout fishing we can, you know, you'll see in the west is happens on the lower sack. Um, happens there. Year-round, yeah. it's the quality of the fish, and, yeah, it's, it's a special place. Okay, good, good. Well, let's take another break, and uh, when I come back, uh, we'll dig in and talk about another river, the Klamath, and uh, see what we can learn about that. Sound good? Absolutely. Sounds great. All right. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kickboats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. Again, that's BigSkyInflatables.com. 
You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing, Internet Radio, and we're talking with Anthony Carusco about the rivers of Northern California. If you'd like to ask Anthony a question, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. And let's see, we've got some questions. Uh, looks like a question on the pit. We'll get to that in a little bit when we talk about that river. All right, so we're on to the Klamath, and... Um, uh, we've got kind of an opening kind of story question here, which is kind of interesting, actually, uh, from Jay Murakoshi, who's been a guest on my show as well. He's out in Fresno, California. He says, back in the 80s, I used to fish the lower Klamath around Johnson's and the Meta Riffle. We had a fish camp high on the bluff overlooking the river. Back then, it used to be pretty good, but the Indians would put their nets across the river and and catching a lot of the salmon and steelhead. There were a few times when we were out there fishing waist deep and we would see bales of hay floating down the river, thus taking out the nets. <laughs> I guess you could yep. say it was an ongoing fisherman and Indian feud. This is the time of year we would go up and camp for a month. So my question is, how is the fly fishing now? I've also spent uh, a lot of time on the Trinity River and now I'm into the saltwater game, but thinking about going back to my steelhead salmon days on Northern California rivers. So how is the fishing on the Klamath <laughs> after all that? Awesome. That's a great, great story. And, yeah, the Klamath is, is a river. There's, um, it's been a pretty um, well-known steelhead fishery for a long time. Really probably one of the best rivers in the West that we have for really good returns of fish. The fish there aren't, aren't as big as your... Um, average coastal steelhead, but there's typically a lot of them that come back. And there are still, the Native Americans still do have nets and, and all that. They, they take and harvest a lot of the salmon and steelhead in the lower river. But that's been that way for a long time. So that does still exist. But the returns, I wouldn't say they're flourishing by any means, but every year is a little different. Some years we have a lot of fish around. Some years it's a little bit slimmer pickings, specifically years where we have good water we seem to see a lot of, of fish come back um, as they can get past the nets and navigate the river and get up to the, the stretches that we, we target them in the Trinity and the, the middle upper Klamath. So with most anadromous fish, the runs fluctuate quite a bit year to year, but there are still really, really strong returns of, of fish on average in the Klamath. And the Trinity is just a tributary, uh, one of the bigger tributaries uh, that dumps into the Klamath down low in the system. So a lot of those fish will go up the Trinity as well. But yeah, I mean, good good returns of fish every day, you know, every year is going to be a little bit different, but I would say there's still healthy returns of, of steelhead in those rivers. And uh, he mentioned salmon as well. Uh, can you fish the salmon there? And are those kings as well? Yeah. Like on the lower sack? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, they're kings, Chinook salmon, and there are good returns of them. This year there's a lot of them in the river. I know a lot of them are a little bit smaller. For whatever reason this year, a lot of them are around 10, 15 pounds. Some years they can be, on average, a little bigger. But there are there are good catchable numbers of salmon in the river as well, um, especially in September, early October. On the lower Klamath, there are some, some really good – you're down there steelhead fishing, and you can run into a few big king salmon as well that are still bright and strong in the pool. Um, as you get upstream further and further, the fish are going to be a little – little less active those king salmon but uh right there are good returns of salmon still yeah yeah it's nice when uh you're catching salmon and they're still real chromey from coming out of the sea and so forth i don't know if uh 
uh, how far they have to travel to get to where you are. Um, I, I just I remember fishing in Alaska for some sand where they still have sea lice on them and stuff coming out of the salt. Yeah, yeah which is uh, yeah. which is cool. But they've got quite a journey. They got to go through what the San Francisco Bay and get up through to you. Yeah, on the Sacramento River. Yeah, that's about a 200 mile plus um, swim for those fish to get up the river. The Klamath as well. They go a long ways. They'll go 150 miles plus to get up their tributaries. Maybe you know 200 miles in some of the rivers. Um, that come into the Klamath. Um, so yeah, it's a long it's a long journey for those fish, but they're most you know they're most fun to target and catch in the lower you know 50 miles Parts, of the yeah. river as they're still only a, a week or less in. Um, they're a lot of fun to catch. Now, how does the uh, describe the Klamath the Klamath uh, compared to the the lower sack as far as the type of river size? Yeah, so it. the section that we fish mostly in the fall, say middle of October through January, is um, the upper end of the Klamath. So from Hornbrook, which is just north of Wairika, um, say down to like Syad Valley. So from Iron Gate Dam there, which is the first major stopping point for those fish, 30, 40 miles, 50 miles downstream. Um, so that's the, the, the section that we fish primarily. And it's a smaller river, much smaller than the Lower Sack. It's a good river to swing fish. Folks that like swinging flies, the Klamath, the middle section and the upper section, all, all the sections of the Klamath is really accommodating to swing in a fly. Folks like doing that. The Klamath is a great river. Um, we fish them in the late fall and winter months, so the water's a little cooler. So they'll still take a swung fly, but they'll, they'll eat a dead-drifted you know, nymph or egg imitation really well as well. And so we fish them you know, fish that that section of the river with drift boats. We'll get out and wade fish on occasion, um, but a lot of our fishing is done from the drift boat there. So okay, okay, all right, and um, you know what? And and I could, we could see the lower sack as well because of drift boats. So um, plenty of places to put in, take out. Are there if you bring in your own boat? There are, are there shuttle services that can yeah. that you can hire. Yeah, there are a few shuttle services. Um, the section that we fish, for the most part, is the 10 miles from the dam there at Iron Gate, which is in the town of Hornbrook, down to where uh, the river goes underneath Interstate 5. And um, a lot of folks can put inflatables in, rafts. The water's fairly flat. There isn't any crazy rapids in that section. So you can get through in most watercrafts, you know, a pontoon or a raft or a drift boat. And there is a few shuttle services up there. The, trying to think of the name. When you when you take the exit, there's a uh, a sign that says you know shuttle services, and I forget the name of the oh. gal, but there are some shuttle options available as well for folks that do want to go up there and float the river. And it sounds there like both some. both that one and the uh, and the lower sack both are easy enough to navigate um, as you as you're describing. They are. Yep, fairly flat yeah. rivers really not anything too crazy as far as rapids to navigate. When you get lower down on the Klamath, um, towards the middle portion of the river and the lower end, there are some serious rapids and stuff to navigate. So folks that are floating down there need to take note of that. But most of what we do is in the flatter, you know, more mild sections of the upper river. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, and so the Klamath, uh, we've got the steelhead salmon, rainbows again? 
as far as trout? Um, there really aren't many resident trout. Pretty much all the oh. all the fish in there are anadromous, so they come come and go from the ocean. Oh, um, okay. The water temperatures get a little bit too warm in the summertime for there to be good resident populations of fish. So most of the fish in that river are going to be steelhead and, and salmon. So the time to come is in the winter there, huh? Late fall? Yeah, really from winter? yeah, really from the middle end of from now, you know, middle end of October through through January um, is when most of the fish are in that section of the Klamath. Okay, okay. Good. Um, now you said uh, a lot of swinging of flies there. Uh, what other methods are, are special? Yeah, yeah, a lot of what we do is, is dead drifting nymphs um, under an indicator or egg imitations, and swing fishing has is, is gotten really popular there too, and it, and it has been popular there for a long time. Uh, but those really those two methods um, are the most productive ways to catch those steelhead in the river on the Klamath. And what 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 kind of flies are you swinging? Um, traditional style stuff. Um, okay. Really nothing you know not big and it's a little more inland. So the steelhead have been in the river a little bit longer um, than say rivers on the coast. Say the Eel River that would be you know you'd be fishing bigger um, articulated streamers or um, intruder style swing flies a little bit bigger and brighter in color as you get up the rivers higher especially the Klamath buggy stuff you know a, a bird's nest or a carry special just traditional smaller traditional style um, mm -hmm. spay flies can be can be really productive in terms of you know looking for flies and and swinging them okay so not not real flashy stuff and uh, yeah uh, in the upper part okay all right. Yeah, a little um, more buggy. Okay. Um, what, uh, any particular challenges you face in this river when fishing it as opposed to others? On the Klamath? Yeah. yeah. Not really. I wouldn't say there's a, there are a lot of challenges. It can get cold up there where we fish it in the wintertime, December and January. It can get cold. Um, you know, mornings can start off in the 20s. Um, typically it warms up into the 40s and 50s, some days in the 60s. Um, so it can be it can be cold up there where we fish it around Hornbrook, but the fish concentrate up there in pretty good numbers. So that's where we spend most of our time in the late fall and winter uh, fishing for those steelhead. And you f forget about how cold it is if you're catching fish, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> but you know how cold it is if you're not catching fish. <laughs> yes, you do. My experience. <laughs> um, okay. Anything. Anything else you want to tell us about the Klamath before we move on to talk about the pit? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great river for folks that haven't had many steelhead experiences. It's a great river to go and learn on um, and to have your first few steelhead encounters. The fish up there, on average, are not, they're not as big as steelhead in some other rivers, but they can be pretty plentiful. You can go up there and really, um, even if you're newer to it, you can go up there and, and have some a good number of opportunities at catching an anadromous fish, you know, a steelhead that's coming from the ocean. So I would say that's kind of the highlight of the Klamath is typically really good numbers of fish, not necessarily the sizes in other rivers, um, but some really good numbers of, of steelhead can be caught up there in the fall and winter. And what would be an average day there for, you know, for steelhead? Yeah. I mean, one, yeah. two fish? Yeah. Most most anglers will, should have at least a handful of opportunities at nice, you know, nice what we would call adult steelhead fish. It's you know anywhere from 18 to 24 inches. Um, mm -hmm. So 
you know, on a day you go out there and you hook 10 steelhead, that's that's kind of right in there. Some days it's significantly more. Some days it's a little less, but um, that's kind of right in there. There's a lot of half-pounders around as well, which the Klamath half-pounder is, you know, a 12 to 14-inch fish that they come back along with the steelhead, the adults and the salmon, and there's a lot of those fish in the river. So you're typically staying pretty busy, you know, with having fish around and hooking fish throughout the course of the day. Some of them are going to be bigger. Some of them are going to, are going to be a little smaller, but um, usually so a pretty those, productive river just in terms of numbers. So those half-pounders are like wannabe big steelheads, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They come back really <laughs> a, year, next year. a year before they're <laughs> mature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, they're anxious. Hey, you know, overachievers, yeah. you know, so. Exactly. All right. All right, good. Um, let me take another quick break here, and uh, then we'll come back and talk about the pit and the clouds. So hang with us, folks, and we'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and also funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. Fly Fishers International core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish so, and to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing, Internet Radio, and we're talking with Anthony Carusco about the rivers of Northern California. If you'd like to ask a question, just go to our homepage, fill out that form, send it in, and we'll try to get your question answered tonight on the show. So we have next up the Pitt River here. And uh, first question I have here on the Internet is uh, a good one to start it off with from Dennis Olson in Medford. Uh, what would you recommend related to fishing the Pitt River? What would you recommend related to fishing the different powerhouses? Uh, I'm assuming he's referring to the other rivers in the area. Um, yeah, he's talking I would, powerhouses. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the Pitt is actually broken up into really seven different sections, and they're we kind of differentiate them by naming the the powerhouses. There's seven different powerhouses that exist on the pit in the different okay. sections. So probably the most uh, the most fish sections are pit three and four, right below Lake Britain. Um, that 10 miles of river as it comes out of Lake Britain are probably the easiest to access and the most, um, the most fished sections of the pit um, with the most consistent fishing. So I would say as far as consistency and productivity and ease of access, pit, the section in number three and the section below the powerhouse in number four are two of the two of the better sections. Um, pit five is a little bit more dicey, um, not as easy to get in, a little bit bigger water. And as you get down, you have six and seven as as it goes into Lake Shasta, and that's really difficult to access and 
it just most people write those those sections off. So pit three and pit four, as it comes out of Lake Britain, um, are kind of two of the the primary sections that people are referring to when talking about the pit the pit river. Yeah. When you say uh, hard to get into, and so this is all uh, wade fishing areas, I'm assuming it is. Yeah, yeah. it's all wade. It's a wade fishery. It's very small pocket water. Flows on average are I think around 400 to 500 cubic feet per second. So um, smaller water, you really, unless you're in a whitewater kayak, you're not floating through there. There's some drops and stuff, and it, there there aren't rivers really to float. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all smaller water. The, the lower sections are difficult to access just because there's no road access. You have to put on a backpack and hike, bushwhack up and down hills and to get into some of those areas. So uh, the sections in three or four are great. You know, they're pack full, jam-packed full of trout, um, wild trout, and a lot of uh, a lot of good walk-in access. You're still going to work. You know, the waiting isn't easy there. You're going to work to get into certain areas. But um, certainly worth it most days, worth the effort in getting into some of those some of those sections of three and four. And um, uh, so you can drive to within how close to these sections? Um, so the, the road there, the PG&E road, parallels sections three and four. So okay. you're paralleling the river. Sometimes you're up on a big, steep bluff looking, you know, a couple hundred feet down at the river, you know, four or 500 feet down in some areas. Um, some sections it's right there at the river, and you can step out of the truck and walk, you know, 30 steps and be, be in the river. So mm -hmm. the road kind of just parallels. It goes up and down and back and forth and and creates good access points. They're pretty easy to read in that there's a little dirt turnoff um, and a trail to the river in, in most of those spots there as the road parallels the river. Mm -hmm. Now, so this is kind of a mountainous area, it sounds like. It is, yeah, a little bit more elevation. Um, you're kind of in the hills up there, so it's, you know, it's, it's more of a canyon that the pit flows through up there. Um, it's not flat. It's a lot of up and down, so it's a little bit more canyony on pit three and four. What type of trout are we fishing for there? Pretty much all rainbows, um, all wild native rainbow trout. Yep. Okay. Um, is this a place for a four-weight rod, something like that, to fish this water? Yeah. Uh, what would you recommend? Yeah, four weight, a four-weight or a five-weight. 90% um, of the time you're going to be fishing below the surface with nymphs. You get a little dry fly fishing in the evenings, in the spring and summer. But most of the trout, 90% plus of their feeding happens below the surface there. It's a really nutrient-rich river. A lot of stoneflies, caddis, mayflies. There's a ton of bugs in that river. Um, and the fish, you know, there are a lot of little footballs in there. A lot of the fish are 14 to 16 inches. They're plump little rainbows. And a, a five-weight is pretty sufficient for that river. We really like the tight-line nymph there, so take the indicator off and you know, fish the European style, you know, as they call it, um, you know, a tight line system. So weight and then, or, you know, a couple tungsten-headed weight, weighted flies to fish the pocket water um, is a really, really productive way to catch the fish in there. Any particular patterns of flies that you like for um, the European Most fishing? of the year, yeah, most of the year a weighted stonefly is a great, you know, bottom fly to have on that's going to help get your system down. And then off a little tag, 18 inches above that, um, a little mayfly or caddis larva can be a great second fly. But really a stone fly on your, on your rig most of the year there, 
is going to be really productive, a great fly to start your system with. Oh, I mean, it's okay. Don't fly. Okay. Um, I think you probably answered this already, but DB in San Diego says, when is the Pitt River good for waiting access by foot, and where are the waiting access points? So you kind of told us where the access points are. Um, is there time of year that's better uh, for waiting or not waiting? Really from May through November, um, the Pitt is great. Um, it's a great option. The, I wouldn't say there's any real month that stands out more than others. I would say really early May through or even April, late April through uh, through November can be awesome. The wintertime, the trout, they're not going to be as active as much because the bugs are a little less active and they're kind of, they'll save their calories a little bit more. You can go there and catch trout still in the winter, but um, the most productive months I would say would be the heart of the year, you know, April, mid-April through through November. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, uh, we haven't talked about the McLeod yet, but, you know, when we, we've talked about the upper sack, the lower sack, the Klamath, and the Pitt River, all are sound like, you know, much different fisheries than one another. Um, uh, they are. So there's quite the variety around you there <laughs> is what I'm we finding do. out. We yeah. have quite the variety. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does seem like time of year is important, depending on what, uh, I guess, more so with the Klamath uh, than any of the others so far, right? Um, For sure on the Klamath, as, yeah. Those, yeah, those yeah. migratory fish, they're, they're there specific times of the year. Fall and winter are kind of specific there. All the other rivers, um, really year-round, specifically, you know, spring. Spring and fall are, are primary months, and summer, too. But, um, right. Spring and fall can be great. Right. Okay. Good. Um, uh, what What do you think makes uh, you know uh, the pit special to you? Yeah, I think um, probably it's one of the high, most highly densely populated trout rivers that I've ever fished. Um, you can get in a pocket there and and catch <laughs> more fish than you imagine would live in a spot like that. Um, hmm. So it's it's jam packed with fish. The the density of fish is really high. Um, and they're all they're all really healthy. Um, it's really again, it's not an easy river to wade fish. It takes some patience in getting around rocks and getting through the brush and to get into your spots. But once you get into your spots that are fishy, um, you can have a, a really high fish count day fishing the pit uh, most days. So I think it stands out just in the quantity of fish that live in that river that you can that you can go catch. Okay. Okay. So last on the list is uh, the McLeod, uh, and I don't know. Did you did you have a uh, chance, or do you know about the question uh, you have in front of you from Morgan? Um, I have it. Okay, uh, he's talking about the the history of uh, the McLeod uh, strain of, of rainbow trout. Um, and that were evidently distributed by railroad across the United States. But that, it, that river is famous for um, kind of a distribution point at one point. Is that still the case? I mean, was, do you know anything about the history of the hatcheries there? Yeah, that's very true. Um, all the fish these days are wild fish that are in there. They don't stock the, uh, the McLeod below, below McLeod Reservoir. But, yes, back in the day, in the 1800s, a lot of the – there was a small hatchery that existed in, on the McLeod, and a lot of those eggs were transported on ice, not just across the U.S., but across the world. A lot of the rainbows in South America 
um, Patagonia in New Zealand, they're all McLeod River Red Band genetics. So they all originated from McLeod, which is pretty neat. You know, you go catch yeah. a rainbow trout in Patagonia, yeah. and it's its origins are from the McLeod in Northern California, which is which is pretty cool. And to know that they still exist in very healthy populations in their native river is a cool thing too, as we fish for them up there. Now, where is uh, McLeod in relationship to the other rivers we've been talking about? Mm -hmm. So where we are here in Redding, the McLeod would be northeast a little ways. Um, the town of McLeod would be a little over an hour from Redding, uh, northeast up five and then over 89. And then from the town of McLeod, there's a couple different sections. There's You can drive into the dam, and there's an area there called Ash Camp. It provides really good walking access. You can drive up to the dam there or down the little gravel road. Um, there's some campsites there at, at uh, Ash Camp, and you can cross the Pacific Crest Trail bridge that crosses the river about a mile downstream of the of the dam. And um, there's a great trail system that accesses the entire McLeod below the reservoir. There's also a section you can drive into to the Nature Conservancy and Adinaw Campground, and that's um, just just a little bit further downstream from Ash Camp, a little different turnoff on a dirt road. Now, when you say the dam, what uh, what body of water is above that dam? Yeah, so that's it's called McLeod Reservoir, and it's a McLeod small Reservoir. dam that okay. makes a small reservoir up there, um, and that's called McLeod Reservoir. And uh, okay, it's a yeah, it's a moderately sized little reservoir that holds water, and uh, and so the water comes the out of the bottom. Is, okay, and most of the fishing is below the dam. Yeah, when we talk about the McLeod, yeah, we we refer to the section that's below. McLeod Reservoir. Um, the water above there, a lot of it's private, and it's really small the further up you get. There's some of it's public. Um, there's a lot of small fish up there, but most of the uh, most of the trout fishing we do on the McLeod is below McLeod Reservoir. And does the McLeod uh, end up flowing into any of the other rivers we've talked about? Or is yeah, it so the McLeod drains into Lake. It drains into Lake Shasta. So Lake it Shasta is comprised okay. of three tributaries, and the three main tributaries um, directly to the north is going to be the Upper Sac, which we talked about a little bit. Slightly right. to the east will be the McLeod, and then a little further east would be the Pitt River. So those are the three okay. main rivers that go into Lake Shasta that make Lake Shasta, and what comes out in one river is the Lower Sac below Lake Shasta. Gotcha. So gotcha. essentially the Lower Sac is, is those three rivers combined. And the Klamath is a totally separate uh, river system uh, yes. from, from this. Yes, yeah, totally okay. different drainage. Yes. Okay, okay, good, good. Um, so, again, rainbows in the McLeod? Yes, primarily rainbows. Um, I'd say 20%, maybe around 20% of the fish are brown trout. Um, so there are some resident browns, and there are a good number of lake-run brown trout that come up out of Lake Shasta in the summertime and, uh, and early fall that will get up there and They'll spawn in late fall and early winter um, in the McLeod River. So really getting out um, July through November. The river closes on November 15th. It's got the general trout regulations. So it's not open all year like most of our rivers up here. Um, but for that sec that time of the year, really from midsummer through the fall, is a great time of year to go up there and run into one of those large brown trout that are coming up from the lake. Boy, that lake's got to have a lot of fish in it, huh? <laughs> it, it does. Uh, it does. It's a very big <laughs> reservoir.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, considering these three tributaries that it's feeding uh, and uh, fish are coming up out of, uh, it's, uh, it's a busy place, it sounds like. Um, so what, what does the cloud look like to us uh, compared to the, you know, the upper sack and the pit uh, as far as type of fishery? Are you there? Oh, we might have lost. Um, we might have lost Anthony here. Um, folks, tell me if you can still hear me. Uh, you know, on that question thing, the, the question box on the front page. If you can still hear me, uh, let me know so I know we're still broadcasting. Um, and we'll see if we can't get Anthony back on here. Um, checking here to see if somebody can give me some feedback. Hey, sorry, Roger, you there? Oh, yeah, you're back? Okay. I'm back. I got yeah, I lost off. you there. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Uh, glad you're back. Um, let's see. I was, uh, and I was checking with my audience out there to see if they could hear us, but uh, I'm assuming they can still. Um, the, uh, uh, yes, they can hear us. Good. Thanks, Phil. Um, so I, my question was, you know, what does the McLeod look like in comparison to the pit and the, the, the upper sack as far as the fishery goes? Um, it's fairly similar in, in terms of the hatches. We get a really good stonefly hatch like we do on the upper sack. Usually it happens in May and the beginning of June. So salmon flies and golden stones, the evening there in that canyon can be awesome fishing a big dry fly um, on the McLeod. Um, then the summertime, you know, you get really good evening dry fly fishing. As soon as the sun starts to get low behind the canyon walls, you can get caddis hatches and PMDs, and you can get some really nice dry fly fishing. It's a lot of pocket water, kind of similar to the pit. So tight line European style nymphing is an awesome method to go catch fish there. And then when those brown trout are around in the summer and fall, fishing streamers on a little sink tip can be a productive way to catch, to target some of those bigger fish. You won't catch as many fish as you would nymph fishing, but you could have the potential to hook some of those, those larger brown trout on a streamer. But very similar hatches to what we have on the upper sack and, and the pit. The wade fishing, I would say, is kind of a mix. It's not a... It's not an easy river just to step in and cross wherever you want and go up and down. There's a nice trail system on it, um, but you're going to have to work a little bit down to get down to the river and get around once you're in the river, in that the banks can be a little bit steeper and there's some big rocks and, and stuff like that. The road follow the river as well there? Um, the road really doesn't parallel the river. You kind of have two access points, well, the first one, the upper end being uh, Ash Camp, right there by the dam, and then you could take a spur off a dirt road and drive another 20 minutes on a big loop downriver to Adina Campground and the Nature Conservancy, which is at the, the bottom end of that, of that river. And how much area does the Nature Conservancy comprise? They have two miles of river um, okay. there, and that's really the end of the, uh, the public water, so to speak. Below that, there's a couple of... Uh, old private fishing clubs that exist down there before the river goes into Lake Shasta. So there's really about 8 to 10 miles of public water from McLeod Reservoir down to the Nature Conservancy. And wasn't there, if I remember you, you know, when you were 
uh, addressing the uh, Golden State Flycasters. Wasn't there something you were talking about about the, the Nature Conservancy um, that was yeah, special so there's, about um, how that came about? Or? Yeah, so, well, I mean, as far as the fishing goes there, there's 10 angler passes a day. Five of them are on the reserve system, so you can call in ahead of time and reserve a pass. And there's five walk-in passes every day. So if you get there early in the morning, there's a pass on the walk-in station. You can grab it and go and fish that section of river for the day. So it's limited in terms of how many rods or how many anglers can be in there fishing per day. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the specifics of the Nature Conservancy there. It's a limited um, use per day. Okay, okay. Um... Good. So, um, any again, any particular challenges or uh, for that river um, as far as fishing? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say any challenges. Yeah, I think it's um, again, it's not it's not the easiest river to wade fish, like I mentioned. Right. So, you know, you want to be in in decent shape and be able to walk a little bit and, and cover. If you can cover a couple miles on that trail and and hit some of those those nice spots, you can you know you can have a great day of fishing. If you're a little bit less mobile, it's it's a little tougher to get around, and you're not going to quite have the same um, rate of success. Um, but it's it's a beautiful place, really really pretty little canyon. It floats through. It's glacial blue water, so really a pretty contrast with the blue water and the green trees and the canyon walls. It's really a a really beautiful place to go spend a day fishing. Out of the uh, three tributaries going into uh, Lake Shasta, um, uh, was it the upper sack, would you think, is the easiest to wade, if somebody was concerned about that? I would that? say the upper sack, yeah, the upper sack is the most accessible, easiest to get yeah. in, and I would say it's probably the easiest river to wade fish of the three. Not that it's easy, but it's, it's I would say it's easier. Pit <laughs> in the McLeod, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, we've about run out of time here, um, so we've got to wind this thing up, Anthony. Uh, but stick with me for a few more minutes, um, and we will, uh, we're going to give away a few prizes and stuff here. So we always have fun with that. Um, but, um, yeah, I think we've got a really good overview, and it just sounds like, you know, what a great place to, uh, to be fishing and guiding <laughs> with all the different mm -hmm. opportunities that you have there. Um, sound, sounds tremendous. Yes. So uh, thanks for giving us that great overview tonight. But hang with me. We'll be back again. And, uh, right. and we'll give away a few of these prizes. All right. The Bristol Bay region of southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet and some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. The pebble mine still remains a threat to the region, and 2 million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry is united in this epic conservation battle. Thousands of fishermen and 31 Alaska native tribes depend on Bristol Bay every day. Pebble Mine will poison Bristol Bay with over 10 million tons of toxic waste, which threatens to destroy their livelihoods. The only way to stop it is to act now. Anglers from across the country are joining in the fight. Be one of them. Visit savebristolbay.org forward slash tell President Trump. And there you can sign a petition to stop this mine from proceeding any further. You can learn more about what's going on on there and also voice your concern and get involved. So again, it's savebristolbay.org forward slash tell President Trump, and that's where you'll find the, uh, the petition that you can sign to voice your concern about what's going on there. 
Just a reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section of tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments, uh, and we'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away a few prizes. And um, the winners of these drawings that we're going to do are uh, selected from a show's registration database. If you didn't register for this uh, tonight's show already, then you're a little too late. So do it for the next show, and you'll have a chance at winning some of these uh, great prizes we, we give away. And um, the first thing that, oh, if you are the winner, we'll contact you after the show and arrange for you to, to receive your prize. So the first thing we're going to be giving away is a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International, which you just heard a sponsored um, ad for. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org, and you can uh, come up to speed with them. So if you don't win tonight, go join them anyway. It's a great organization to support. So the winner for that is Wayne Johnson. Wayne, uh, congratulations. And I know Wayne and the Golden State Flycasters down in uh, San Diego, California, and helped them. And that's where I learned about Anthony, in fact, um, and uh, connected with him. So Wayne, uh, congratulations uh, tonight on winning that membership. And um, let's see, um, the next one is the, the one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And you can learn more about that with, at amatobooks.com. Uh, they've got all kinds of publications there, and um, as well as books and so forth about fly fishing. So check them out. And our winner there is Al Moore in Georgia. So Al Moore, uh, congratulations on winning that subscription. So uh, thanks for playing tonight, gentlemen, and uh, glad you were able to win something. And now we'll uh, we'll give away a book from Stackpole Books. And I have, like I said. Um, a, uh, a list of books that you'll be able to pick from uh, if you are the winner tonight. And um, uh, let's see. We talked about a lot of rivers tonight. Um, what uh, on the lower sack, what months were the best time to go for steelhead? What months? A range, like from such and such to such and such. So that's a little tougher than the one I had originally done, but I, it was going to be too easy. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see if somebody was taking notes here and uh, uh, see if we can't find ourselves a winner. So, Anthony, it takes a minute because there's a, a, a delay before they actually hear us. Uh, and then sure. they have to type and stuff, so we have to entertain them. Um, so, so you play golf when you're not fishing, right? Is that your oh, hobby? You know, I, used to, <laughs> yeah, I used to play a lot more than I do now. Um, but yeah, we got a we got a little girl at the house now. We got our first uh, first kid. She's 15 months old, so that keeps oh. me busy a lot more. Oh, uh, yeah. a lot more time with the little one than getting to go out and play golf on a day off. So, oh yeah, a little more family yeah. time. Um, yeah, they. Yeah, uh, I still get out. And... Yeah, it's it's like uh, your world changes <laughs> on that first yeah, child, very right? Much so. I mean, I mean, everything yeah. you were doing stops, and there's a whole new world in front of you <laughs> for, yep, for, years, for years. For years. Yep. Yep. 
But, and uh, we're, yeah. uh, we're, we love it, but um, yeah. yeah, certainly a change, but we certainly yeah. do, do enjoy this time. Oh, yeah, yeah, special times. Um, enjoy them. Uh, I think the first one in, I think, is a winner, but you tell me, uh, Anthony, uh, he put in October to January. Sounds perfect <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right now. So, Craig uh, Williams, Plymouth, California. Craig, congratulations for paying attention and taking notes, I'm sure. And uh, you're the first one in, and you're going to get a book. So, Craig, I have your um, email address here, and I will send you a list. And from that, you can pick one, and also at that time, send me your address uh, where we'll ship it out to. So that's how that's going to work. And uh, thanks, everybody else. I see other answers coming in here. Um, let's just see real quick if, uh, if the next one was wrong. 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 <laughs> the next one was wrong. Well, gosh, there was only one right answer that I've hit so far, and it was Craig. So uh, uh, congratulations. Anyway, <laughs> that was fun. Hey, uh, Anthony, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day there and uh, joining us and sharing your knowledge and, um, and giving us a, a really great perspective on, on your part of the world there. So thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely, Roger. I really appreciate you having me, and hopefully some of you folks uh, find the time this year, next year, to come up and spend some time fishing up in Northern California. Yeah, yeah, and uh, look Anthony up and his, his crew there and uh, go fishing. So uh, I highly awesome. encourage it. All right. Well, hopefully all of you have found the, the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link in the top-line menu. Uh, in that archive, you'll find all kinds of past shows, over 320 shows now. Uh, you can search by keyword, keyword phrase like trout, tarpon, Madison River. Now you can you'll be able to search by pit and, and Lower Sacramento and so forth, and uh, you'll find all kinds of great information about fly fishing there. So I'm sure you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised. Our next broadcast will be on November 4th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and in that show I'm going to interview Chris Leonard, and our topic for the show will be Mammoth Lakes fly fishing. Uh, this is another part of California, so we're hitting California hard here, and uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy that. Chris has been guiding and teaching fly fishing in the Mammoth Lakes, California area since 2005, and uh, the Mammoth Lakes is well known for its ski area, uh, but it also hosts some great fisheries like Hot Creek, Upper Owens, and the San Joaquin River. Uh, so listen in and learn about these eastern uh, Sierra fisheries and uh, how you can best fish these waters. I'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Douglas Outdoors, Baja Fly Fishing, and uh, Watermaster for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing. Bye.